the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Pat Vitucci says, don't invest in Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Was the Fed's efforts to tame inflation too little, too late? Fed Chair says no promise to control rising costs and protect jobs. Bay Area housing market responds to higher interest rates and changes to what Social Security gives and takes, likely coming in 2023. Welcome again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus-year financial manager and the principal of Vitucci & Associates, Pat Vitucci, along with our own Don't Invest and Forget man on the street, Charlie Cowain. I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, certainly inflation concerns as we look at everything from the cost of borrowing to the cost of buying gas, the cost at the grocery store, having an impact across the board for Americans this 4th of July holiday weekend. Not an easy challenge for anybody. Every Federal Reserve president since I've been following the markets for over 30 years has had this tightrope to walk of, is it a recession? And you generate too much unemployment. We've already seen since the beginning of the year layoffs. We kind of forgot that word. That was not part of our vocabulary for many, many years. Companies like Tesla, Coinbase, like Robinhood, collectively over 23,000 jobs have been lost. And I think that number is going to look paltry when we revisit this number, perhaps in the next quarter. I think by definition, you've got to raise unemployment to slow recession. And it may have been a result of too many rate increases over the past many years. The Biden uh, monetary policy of just flooding the market with lots of money, free money for everybody. And, and now uh, Sacramento, Governor Newsom just announced potential $1,040 for every person who owns a car as a way to gasoline holiday gift. Well, you say $1,000 a person doesn't sound like a lot, but multiply that times 30 million people, and it tends to fuel inflation even more. So we've got some monetary policy, political decisions, obviously looking to pander to their constituents, but ramifications on the economy sometimes will backfire. 
Of course, Europe is going through the same kind of thing. Their reliance on rust, oil, and natural gas, obvious reasons with the Ukraine war, is, is having um, dramatic impact. Real estate, of course, is going to be the bedrock of market that will be, in my view, most impacted. Think about the average home in San Francisco, about a million and a half bucks. That's about 30% higher than it was in interest rate costs. It's going to raise your monthly about $2,000 a month. That's going to knock a lot of people out of eligibility and qualifying. And people are going to say, wait a minute, I'm going to sit back and I'm, I'm not going to buy. These numbers are just way, way too high. And so we'll see a, the inventory go up and we'll see sales drop. And that's going to be, to me, the biggest damage to the economy because if you're not buying homes, you're not going to Home Depot to buy lawnmowers and wallpaper and furniture, and it just cascades into so many other industries. So when you see inflation as of last month in May at 8.6%, the highest since 1981, and we still have another six months, what is that going to do to your Social Security check? Well, the good news is you're going to get a big fat increase, but it's just not going to go as far. With the price of a gallon of gas at $7 or so, food costs have gone up a lot. So we're seeing this inflation have giant impacts on our spending patterns. And, and then we're seeing, of course, some companies like oil companies having phenomenal profit numbers. So is it inflation or from their standpoint, is it greedflation? Are they getting greedy? And then are they capitalizing on the poor folks who are out there pumping gas at $7 a gallon? By the way, Britain just introduced a 25% windfall tax on oil companies, saying, wait a minute, you're screwing with our everyday people here. You're going to give us 25% back to help fend off some of this high inflation. So here we are. You're about to retire. You look at your portfolio and say, oh, wow, I've got a pretty nice net worth. Well, net worth is not the way to look at your level of preparedness for retirement. It's kind of a meaningless number. If your house is worth $5 million and your net worth is $6 million, how much of that can you convert to real income? can't take any money out of your house unless you sell it. And so some people are really absolutely in love with their home. But how much of your net worth can generate income for 10, 15, 20 years, maybe 30 years? So your net worth is not something you want to measure your, your level of preparedness to go through retirement. Look at your numbers from a generation of income. And interestingly, the government just passed some legislation which is going to change the 401k statements you get in your mail every quarter. And interestingly, I like this idea a lot. It's going to show lifetime income illustrations. Basically, what would an annuity generate for you based on your chunk of money? And it'll show monthly income. And I think it'll help people visualize what this chunk of money is going to produce in terms of income. Everybody, in my view, has got disconnected ideas, kind of outlandish ideas. Wow, I have a million dollars. I'm a rich guy. Well, when you look at it, you take the 4% rule, that's going to generate, you know, $3,500 a month in realistic income. And people have visions of, I'm going to get ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a month. I've seen this happen time and time again, guys, when uh, People come in and they've, they've got this big chunk of money and I'm the bearer of bad news when I've got to tell them, well, here's what 
an income expectation is no, no, I no, no, I you don't understand. I've got a million dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm using. I'm using your your million dollar number. So I think it's a great opportunity to make people fully aware of what their chunk of money is going to provide them. Janis Joplin used to think, I want a million dollars and a Mercedes Benz. And, you know, at that time, you probably would have been set for life had you had those two things. But sadly, Janis Joplin died at a very early age. And here we are 40 years later, a Mercedes Benz or a million dollars doesn't make it. And Pat, backing up a little, did you just say that the Governor Newsom is advocating that everybody is going to get a check for $1,000? Yes, I'm pretty sure it passed. Well, anything he wants, the legislation passes because it's okay. it's a one-party system. Yeah, so I think it's $1,040. I'm sure it's based on income, and there's some qualifications that you'd be eligible or not based on your income level. If you're making too much money, you're going to get squat. And what is, is that supposed to help with the, with the, the hike in gas or... Just the hike in things in general. Yes, yes, and yes. So you're about to retire, and you say, wow, I've been working five days a week, 8 to 12 hours a day. I've had 52 Saturdays a year to kind of sit back, relax, get chores done, wash the car, cut the grass. You retire. Now you've got 365 Saturdays. Every day is a Saturday. Does your income support having to uh, relax for 365 Saturdays? year. So that's the way you have to look at life now, because now it's different. You don't have to report it to work five days a week. You've got seven days of doing what you want to do. Pat, let's pivot for a moment to an issue that oftentimes is counted on by many folks reaching retirement, particularly those that live here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that is looking at their home as a resource and certainly the opportunity to move to a state where the cost of living is significantly lower, maybe where the grandkids happen to reside, can be attractive for folks considering retirement. But I have to wonder, analyzing the current state of Bay Area housing in light of the increase in interest rates where, hard to believe it, but just six months ago it might have been just a skosh over 2%, for a 30-year fixed loan, and now we're hovering well above 5%, more than double. Certainly, while this perhaps provides no relief in terms of the housing shortage in the Bay Area, are we beginning to see trends where the multiple bids, the removal of contingencies, things of this sort are beginning to disappear? Is it going to be more difficult? to sell a home, take longer time to sell a home in the San Francisco Bay Area? And will any of this, in terms of what's happening with both the interest rate push by the feds and inflation, begin to have some bearing on the value of home prices here in the Bay Area? Yeah, there's no question. All that trend is completely reversed. Home sales fell for the fourth straight month in May. That falling will accelerate when we look back at June numbers. In May, the average day on the market for a home was 16 days. I'm going to suggest it's going to be a much higher number when we look back in June and then July. We're now starting to see sales contingent on the sale of my home. Heretofore, you'd never even consider a buyer a contingent sale of the current home. And this economy is pivoting pretty briskly. And when we report these numbers a month from now and two months from now, the number is going to be dramatically more abysmal and not as exciting as we've kind of enjoyed for the last couple, three years. You put your house on the market, you got 32 offers the next day at, you know, 20% higher than what you listed it for. I think those days have quickly come 
to an end. And that's the reality of moving into a pre-recession, recession. We're not, we're not sure what it looks like yet. We can look back and say, you know, that was a recession. But there's no question housing market has cooled off considerably. It's a look at Wall Street and your financial life on this edition of Don't Invest and Forget. As our 4th of July holiday weekend program continues, more insights into money management and effective retirement planning. As Don't Invest and Forget continues. Pat Petucci says, Don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. My very special guest today is Marilyn Motes Kennedy. Marilyn is the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy Inc. She's been in the business for 31 years. She's made more than 100 presentations on a variety of topics that principally involve what is going on in the evolving workplace. Of particular interest today are diversity issues such as cross-generational motivation, management, communication, and recruitment. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Marilyn, I heard you speak some months ago, and I was intrigued by some of the underlying trends that you see evolving out there. Talk to our listeners about some of those fundamental issues that you think are so critically important. Well, the first is the aging of the workforce. There are three times as many workers ages 55 to 70 as there are 18 to 24. So unless companies can keep their workers 55 to 65 working three years longer than they want to work, they're not going to have workers. We're facing a huge worker shortage as the group we call the boomers who were born between 46 and 59, and they are the largest age cohort in the population. As they face retirement, it's going to be brutal. What happens when uh, the 65-year-old wakes up and says, you know, I don't have enough money to retire on. I have to work until 70. Do you see a fair amount of that kind of trends? Oh, I don't think the boomers will retire at 65. They really can't. It would be 66. I think they will not fully retire until sometime between 72 and 75. But the point is, not retiring does not mean they're going to continue to work for their current employers. What we're seeing, every university in the country is running a program called Second Acts. And what it's about is helping people 55 to 65 pick their next career. And typically, it's something they've dreamt about while they were sitting behind that desk or doing whatever they were doing for the last 40 years. They've dreamt about doing something else, and this is now the opportunity to engage. I'm not sure they even dreamt it then. I think they are seeking renewal as they age because retirement, when the Depression generation did it, they retired at 65, they sat down, and they died five years later. And boomers see work as a way to put off the Grim Reaper. So it's not just for financial gain. It's really no. they're, they're adding value to either themselves or to somebody else. And that's the reward for continuing working. Yes, but I think primarily it is financial. Only 4% of boomers who are right now age 60 have saved enough so that at 66 they could retire comfortably. 20% have saved nothing at all. So it's largely about money then. In your, it, it's from the about numbers, money yeah. and the idea that they are going to do something else because they've always been a restless group and they're thinking right now, this is not all there is for me. I have not reached my Peggy Lee phase. I'm not saying is that all there is because I know there is something else out there for me. And so they're going to be looking for it. Marilyn, is it different for men versus women or or is this gender neutral? If both men and women have been working, it's gender neutral. If he retires and she has been a stay-at-home, she's definitely going to get a job for better or worse, but not for lunch. And she will be out doing something because 
having her husband home all day is going to drive her nuts. So what we're seeing is women whose husbands take early retirement, which is between 59 and 62. Either they get divorced because she just can't stand it, or she goes out and does another career. It's funny you mention that. Honestly, the last 20 people I've interviewed in my office, folks who come in for our no-obligation consultation, I'll bet half of them, Marilyn, are going through some kind of divorce. And they're all that 55 to 60, 62 years of age after 30 plus years of marriage. What is going on here? It's like this epidemic of disgust with each other all of a sudden. They can't stand to be in the same room 24-7 or even in the same house or apartment. Is this a a chemical change? Is this an attitude change? Is this a awakening up of, uh, oh my God, we're empty nesters. There's no kids around. Let's go our separate ways. I think they have different goals. I think he wants to do nothing. And she's saying, it's my time now. And that can really put a wedge between them. And the more financially secure they are, the more likely they are to get divorced. And the converse is true. I suspect there's more dependence on each other if there's not enough money there. Right. See, the real issue of our time is not financial. It's if you can father a child at 85, if you can give birth to a child at 60, when will you be old? The other big thing in the financial industry that I just heard recently from one of my clients is children under the age of 12, 24% have fathers age 55 or older, and it is the father's first family. If you add second families, you have 34% of males age 55 have children under the age of 12. Well, they're not going anywhere. It's got to work. These are boomer people we're talking about. Is there a difference in the, I think it's called the echo boom, the the boomlets, uh, the kids of the boomers? They're not getting to be 20, 25, 30 years old as well. Well, the big difference there is they marry later. Average age of first marriage in the U.S. right now is 30 years, four months for men, 29 years, three months for women. If you don't marry until your early 30s, which is how that really works out, you spend your 20s doing anything you want, living at home with your parents, experimenting with different jobs, graduate school. So since they marry later, their divorce rate is going to be lower. We figure about 30% as opposed to 50%. Because if you marry for the first time at 30, have children in your late 30s, your chances of four spouses are statistically non-existent. You won't live that long. So the whole idea of marriage, because it's been postponed, I think when I was young, it was something like age 23 or 24 was the average age to get married back in the 70s. And when I got married in the 60s, it was 21. But we don't know how much longer it can go and how much later you can marry and still have children. Do boomers and or their kids have a lot of fundamental different ideas about money and how they approach the whole economic of their respective lives? The younger groups save at four times the rate as a percentage of income as the boomers. They have finally bought the message from the financial industry, which is to pay yourself first, and they do. And they're into 401ks and their own parallel retirement plan. But they're not day traders on the web the way you see you know, the boomers doing. They tend to be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. We're talking with Marilyn Motes Kennedy. She's the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy, Inc., 31-year-old management consultant firm. She's been uh, speaking before more than 100 groups, really looking at some of the trends of the evolving workplace. What other big issues as employers should be on the minds of folks wanting to continue to employ effective and smart people in their firms? They need to understand that young people are not going to stay with them forever. There is no forever after. People under 30 will have at least seven careers in their lifetimes. We did a survey a few years ago of first-year medical students, law students, dental students, and veterinary medicine. 30% of first-year medical students 
said they know right now they will not retire as physicians. 27% of law students, 12% of dental medicine. But what we found interesting was when we said why, they said, well, you need a place to stand. And once I get my debts paid off, my school debts, I'm going to do what I really want to do. And that was their view. The other thing is nobody cares about office politics anymore. They don't care about it. That used to be a big thing in government. Young people would get a job with the government and then they would run into politics. They don't run into that now because they're oblivious. My special guest is Marilyn Motes Kennedy. She's the founder and managing partner of Motes Kennedy Inc. It's a 31-year-old management consulting firm. Marilyn has made more than 100 presentations a year on a variety of topics that principally talk about the evolving workplace. What is going on with the demographics of employees of American firms today, Marilyn has kind of specialized in that. We're really talking about the attitude of the boomers. I mean, that's one of the topics we're talking about. What are some of the other issues that are on boomers' minds through your research? Well, the big thing with boomers is that they are not going gracefully into the night. They watch their parents retire, die five years later, doesn't appeal to them. They're not going to buy the kinds of products and services that their parents bought. What we found is most boomers aren't interested in long-term care insurance because they think they don't need it. They want to invest for growth because they figure the only way they will not outlive their assets is if they keep growing the money pile and, of course, working longer. So nursing homes are going to be for somebody else, not for them. They're never going to nursing homes. They're never going to Florida or Arizona because, of course, those are the vestibules of death. The most important thing for boomers is they would be surrounded with old people. We're looking at a trend now, it's just starting, in which people will retire to the university they went to, live on campus. It is the perfect boomer scheme. Here is this boomer couple. They go back and live in Ann Arbor or they live in College Station, Texas. They're surrounded by 35,000 people between the ages of 18 and 30. They can get a discount on football tickets. Of course, we'll have to hoist them up into the stadium, but they will look everywhere and see young people. And the trend for them is you will never be old if you're surrounded by young people. Think about it. Universities are not for profit. They can build senior housing on the campus. They can offer these people the chance to study anything they choose to study, which will also help keep them young and they believe will send off Alzheimer's. And they can make more money from senior housing than they do from undergraduate housing. What's not to like in this scheme? Long-term care is something they have no interest in. It's not going to affect them at all. No. By the time they really need it, that is, have Alzheimer's or terrible physical stuff, they won't care where they are. Certainly not the Alzheimer's crowd. And they can go to a traditional nursing home then. But what's going to happen is they will not get there until they are too sick for it to make any difference. So they will have like months or maybe a year or so. And what they're interested in is maxing out every day prior to the day that they are at death's door. And that means surrounding yourself with young people, doing fun things, and what place was more fun for them than the university. And this isn't just universities, colleges. Think about this as a bonanza for the state university. Here it's got a shrinking market because we are fewer young people. Now it has an additional market that will keep it going into the unforeseeable future. Universities will offer the classes free to their senior citizens. Only a few will take them, but it will be seen as a perk. What they'll really do is be living on a 
campus, going to the local bars and all that sort of stuff and thinking that they're having a good time. And they won't see other old people. If you're in a, a retirement community, you're looking at people at least as old and probably older than you. That's depressing. You mentioned we even talk differently. Talk to our listeners about some of the terms that maybe the boomers use and the younger workers are expressing themselves a little bit differently now. Well, the boomers are always speaking euphemistically. When a boomer says to a buster, would you mind doing X or Y? The buster hears a question. What the boomer meant was, this is an order, but nicely put. What the buster answers is the question. Yes, I would mind. And here are the seven reasons I have no intention of doing it. This leaves the boomer confused because they've always preferred euphemism. They've always preferred to speak by indirection. Busters are subject, verb, object speakers. We tell the younger ones, never, whatever, anybody, because the boomers hate that. And the busters will say, okay, whatever. Uh That makes the boomers furious because it's a statement of non-commitment. Did us older folks, we want a recognition and the younger folks may not need that as much? It's not just recognition. The boomers, because they were from a very crowded generation, wanted acknowledged. Busters and nutsters understand if they just breathe, it's all going to come to them. It's called the power of mass. That's the boomers versus the power of scarcity. That's the younger group. And what's really happening is younger ones are on the road to self-employment. So they're actually just dropping by and they're going to work there for a while and they'll give you a good day's work. But what the boomers want is emotional commitment and they're never going to get that. The only emotional commitment these people will make is to a business of their own. Otherwise, you pay them, they work. That's it. And the boomers have always been love or loathe. I love this. I hate that. Love the restaurant, hate the chef, that kind of stuff. The busters and nutsters, yet people under 30 think you are putting way too much effort into something that doesn't matter. Why do you have to love and loathe? Why can't you just let it go? So there, one of the things they resonate with very strongly is the Beatles and the sort of laid back way of thinking that is in many of their songs. But wait a minute, I thought we were like the laid back generation that kind of took life easy and the whole drug Only scene. Only for a couple of years during the Vietnam War and then they exploded and their true competitive nature as boomers came forth. The Vietnam War was an interlude. The boomers were always competitive from the cradle. Their parents wanted them to be competitive. They wanted them to do better than they had done. The Vietnam War was a time in which they tried to solve that problem, but the minute it was over, they were back to competition, rising in corporations, that sort of thing. They were all about big companies, whereas today's generation doesn't see that as a useful goal at all. They don't want to work for big Fortune 50 companies. Are these young ones prepared to start their own firms? Are they... Two of every five people under 35 will be self-employed in their lifetime. People under 25 tell us three of every five will be self-employed within five years of finishing their education, regardless of level. That's the big difference. It's a very confident group coming up then. Yeah, they're certainly confident that they can run a business. But remember, they're not going, they don't want to build General Electric. They're talking about a business that will support them and their lifestyle. So their vision is not as big as perhaps the boomer kids were? Oh, not nearly as big as the boomers. They live in smaller spaces. They have fewer children. They have working spouses. They don't need as much money. A whole different mindset. Very. My special guest today, Marilyn Motes-Kennedy. Marilyn is the founder and managing partner of Motes-Kennedy, Inc. Really looking at the evolving workplace and the demographics that affect attitude and expectations. If there's any questions for Marilyn or myself, call our toll-free number, one 888 Plan wise, that's one eight 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 P L A N W I S E, or go to our website, don't invest and forget.com. That's don't invest and forget.com. 
Give us a call on our toll-free number, one plan wise That's 1-888-PLANWISE. Meryl, this is very enlightening. I'm taking some uh, copious notes on how to better interact with some of my staff folks who are in this age group. I hope I can successfully get a better level of communication with them. So you've added a lot of lot of ideas. Appreciate your time today. It was a pleasure. Pat Petucci says, don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Don't invest and forget. If you've been to the doctor lately and you're over a certain age, likely the physician said, we'd like to have you come in for a stress test. And they'll hook you up to all kinds of cables and wires and get you on the treadmill and make sure the old ticker is doing what it's supposed to be. There's another type of stress test out there you might be familiar with around the periphery. Following the economic challenges of 2008-2009, banks were required to undergo financial stress tests. Well, what about for you and I? Is it necessary to engage in sort of a personal financial retirement plan stress test? And if so, why? And what does that look like? Some insights now from our host, Pat Vitucci. And I guess, Pat, as we think about preparedness in any fashion, whether we make sure that there's an insurance policy that covers the house in the event of a fire or an automobile policy in case we get into a car accident, having some sense of security that wraps around where we're at with our retirement plan to anticipate the unanticipated is probably a wise thing. Yeah, you know, there are so many moving parts, and it, it just is overwhelming in levels of detail when you're talking about preparing for retirement and what does your stress test look like? Even just reading those words, you kind of get stressed out. Oh, my gosh, I, I, now I am stressed out. I didn't even realize I was supposed to be stressed out. When you think about interest rates and emerging markets and what is this economic boom doing for me personally, What about inflation? Am I really moving towards some critical mass dollars that makes really good sense and my level of preparedness will be impressive enough that my spouse and I, or if I'm a single person, I can really retire and not have to worry about, do I have to go to work at Home Depot? Unless you want to, that's cool. A lot of moving parts. At the end of the day, it's always better to plan as best you can, revisit your portfolio design as often as you can and track your level of preparedness as you move through your 50s and 60s and even 70s and 80s. Are In your later years, are you eroding your principal way too aggressively? That's not a healthy sign. So it's really an analysis of your portfolio. Here's an interesting stat. We're inside this 10-year bull market, longest bull market in the history of America. So in the 10 years, Craig, there are literally 2,517 trading days. You know, that's Monday through Friday with the exception of holidays. So we got this 10-year bull market with 2,517 days. Let's talk about the best and the worst. Of the 2,517, 2,464, 98% of all those trading days, guess what? Produces zero total return. So 98% of those trading days in that 10-year bull market, the market did nothing. It was flat. Listen to this one. The top 53 trading days, just 53, 2% of all those days in that 10-year bull market created a 400% total return. So you say, well, wait a minute. Just tell me what those 53 days are, and I'll be in the market those days and sit on the sidelines and not lose a nickel. Well, of course, we don't know what the 53 days are. But that's really emblematic of the kind of market we've always had And the takeaway to that startling statistic is you cannot 
time the market. You cannot know when to get in and when to get out unless you are an absolute genius. So long-term traders really have to participate in the market, reallocating to different segments of the market. Yes, that's important, whether you're in domestic stocks, emerging stocks, international stocks, whether you're in value, whether you're in growth, whether you're in bonds or Ginnie Mae mortgages. Should you be in REITs, real estate investment trusts, or should you sit on the sidelines in cash? Those are all the very small, specific reallocations that should be considered throughout the year to mitigate some of this volatility. But amazingly, Craig, 53 days out of 2,500, it's only 2%, over 400% total return. I think that's pretty amazing. So when we talk about stress tests, it really takes a whole lot more diligence to create a portfolio that will be sustainable throughout your retirement. You work 40 years, you very well could be retired for 40 years. And how is that block of money going to sustain you for all those years with probably some surprises along the way? Your kids need money. Your parents need funding. They ran out of money. They, they lived, they're living a lot longer, throwing a couple recessions, throwing a couple illnesses for you or your family members. Your kids need help. They need a new car. You know, you're going to certainly help your grandchildren if there's issues there. There's lots of bumps in the road, even in retirement, like you had in your working days. So it's important to understand your level of preparedness. And, of course, there's always what we call the sequence of returns. You retire and the market drops 30% in that first year. That has a giant meaningful impact on how long that money is going to last. As opposed to another sequence of events, you retire and 10 years later, the market drops 30%. The implications of the sequence of when that bad year or two comes has long-term meaningful impact. If it comes in the first year, you're probably going back to work. You're calling your boss back. Hey, boss, sorry, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have retired this early. Or you're going to get a part-time job somewhere else. So sequence of returns is an important issue that needs at least some level of understanding. As much as I don't like the term stress test because it stresses me out thinking about it, and it probably stresses other people out, it really is important to... Get your arms wrapped around how prepared you really are. We get calls, Craig, all week long. You know, I'm thinking about retirement. I'm not sure if I am able to. And they come into our office, and an hour or so later, we create this very sophisticated software that provides some pretty succinct ideas and directions and conclusions. You know, I want to buy a car every six years. I want to go on a trip every year and spend $15,000. I want fund money of $10,000 a year. And all those things will conclude with, sorry, you can't retire at 62. You've got to wait till 65. Or you're certainly equipped to do all those things. Or if you don't buy a car every six years, there's all these what-if scenarios you can plug in. It gives you a statistical probability of success in retirement. We just did one yesterday. The 83% chance this couple will not run out of money. We did one last week. There was only a 56% chance they were going to run out of money. You don't want that. That's not a good number. If you get into the 80 or 90 percentile that you're in pretty good shape and you're not going to run out of money, that gives us some fair level of confidence that you can make that call to the boss and, hey, boss, I'm retiring. There's some science to it. Certainly, there's a lot of emotion centered around numbers and the probabilities, and it's not 100% accurate because life throws curves at us like a 2008 or a family member needs a whole big chunk of money. But it's as careful as we need it to be 
without guaranteeing that you will absolutely not run out of money at retirement. It's all about what do you do on day of retirement. Retirement day has been called the most stressful day of your life because you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, that weekly check doesn't get deposited anymore. It's over. It's done with. And so you want to make sure your stress test doesn't put you into a, to a stressful mode and you begin to flip out or have other medical issues. Stress is a horrible thing as we get older. It tends to produce physical ailments, and we certainly would opt not to let that happen. So the reproach here is really to make sure that the stress test is placed on your financial plan so that there's not additional stress placed on you. Is that a good way of saying it? That's a great conclusion, yes. And at the end of the day, all of us need to make sure that we are prepared for the uncertainty of what life hands us, be it a sudden downturn in the markets or you're 60 years old, you anticipated working for a few more years, and the boss comes in and announces, you're done, pack your bags. Now all of a sudden you're back on the streets wondering how will you ever find a job again that paid what you used to earn. All of these are very stressful incidences, so make sure that your finances are prepared, that there's a plan in place to respond to them. If you'd like to take advantage of that financial health and retirement plan review stress test that Pat just spoke of a moment ago, yours free for the asking in any of the Bay Area offices of Vitucci and Associates. Simply log on today to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You can also easily schedule that appointment by calling toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or once again online at don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.